With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got it! Looking away, McKenna around third. Throw from the outfield is up the line. Inside the park home run! Deep! Gone! Whoa! <laughs> he leaps up and he makes a catch up against the wall! And he's gonna watch it fly! Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, also on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, here with my co-host, Rob Rojacki. And Rob, aside from that disaster of a Michigan football game that you went to on Saturday, how was your Thanksgiving weekend? It was good, you know, uneventful. It's, you know, just it was nice to get a, get away from everything, you know, the website and not having to write about anything because the Tigers did, you know, absolutely nothing over the break. So it, it was a nice little, nice little getaway. And by absolutely nothing, you mean they actually did a lot. They, yeah, they, they literally pulled off that move like the minute I got off the plane back to D.C. Like I actually sat in the airport, thank God for Baltimore's free airport Wi-Fi, and wrote that post there. <laughs> well, way to take one for the team, Rob. It's, it's, you'd think that at this point, with as, as big as Bless You Boys is, that we could somehow coordinate with the Tigers and with Alavila and just say, hey, you know, Rob's on vacation. Don't do any major signings. You know, I know you got the Zimmerman thing boiling, but let's let's push that off. They delayed my trip to Chipotle by like a whole 10 minutes. <laughs> Was not happy with them about that. Yeah, this team does not give a crap about what we're doing. And it's just not, we got to change that. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting show. Uh, the baseball gods have seen fit to drop a big old fat slab of juicy offseason meat on the table. Uh, See, this I, is another, this is yet another instance in where we're wrong. I think I opened last week's show by saying nothing was going to happen this week because it was Thanksgiving and everything happened this week. Everything happened. And uh, hours before we sat down to start recording this show, the news broke. Uh, David Price signing a mega contract with the Boston Red Sox. I haven't even had time to fully process this information yet, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that on the show. The takes are going to be the freshest of takes, the hottest of hot takes. It's it's raw, it's medium rare at best, because I'm just like still processing what this all means. A lot of stuff to get to in this show, uh, because apparently Al Avila wanted to get all of his winter work finished before the winter meeting so that he doesn't have to go. That's my personal theory. We're going to talk about the fate of Al Albuquerque, speculate about the winter meetings next week, we're going to mourn the loss of Alex Avila, take some listener questions, and speculate irresponsibly about the future of the Tigers in 2016. But first, we round the bases. We got 99 problems, but the pitcher ain't one. 
when we get back from the break. Six-210-pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone a home run. Ian Kinsler delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third, heads into the mob scene at home, and the Tigers take the series from KC. A walk-off home run from Kinsler, eight to six. All right, and we are into our rounding the bases segment. Rob, we got 99 problems, but the pitcher ain't one. I'm sure you get that reference, right? Well, it's Jay-Z, right? I, I don't know. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it Jay-Z. is. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Jordan Zimmerman. There you go. It's it's like the one Jay-Z song that I actually have some familiarity with. I'm getting too old for this to keep up with whatever. Jay-Z's older than you are. are you, no. Jay-Z's like 45. Okay. It, then it's a genre thing. I'm just. And then Jordan Zimmerman looks like he's 45. <laughs> oh, hot takes are coming already. So yeah, no big news to report this week, right? No, it's just that the Tigers finally went out and did the thing. They signed Jordan Zimmerman, uh, one of the top, I'd say top three, top four rated free agents, uh, starting pitchers on the market behind I'd, Zach Greinke, David Price. I'd put him at number yeah three or four, depending on how you feel about Johnny Cueto. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the MLB trade rumors site, he was, he was ranked third among starting pitchers just above Johnny Cueto and, uh, so the Tigers did their thing, and Al Avila went out and uh, got him to sign the contract. And the, the the takes, you know, the the takes coming from the Tigers fan base seems to be an overwhelmingly popular signing. Although you've always got the outliers that kind of feel like, no, well, they should have signed David Price, but that that wasn't going to happen. How do you feel about the Zimmerman signing? I like it. Um, you know, at first I was a little bit hesitant, like, you know, a week or two ago about the Tigers pursuing Zimmerman. Um, I thought he was going to get something more like a six or seven year deal. You know, he's a younger guy. He's only 29. I believe he turns 30 at some point next season. So on the younger end of the free agent spectrum, uh, and it pitched really well throughout his career is very consistent. So, you know, getting him at five years, even though it was, you know, maybe a little bit more than we expected per year, uh, at 110 million, I thought was a nice little surprise. And and it's definitely a good move, in my opinion. Yeah, he was, I think, projected by either Fangraphs or MLB Trade Rumors or maybe both to get somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million per year, and now it's looking more like twenty two. So like you said, it's, it's a little more maybe, uh, you know, in annual average value. Uh, but at the same time, for five years, and we'll get to, I guess, what that means, because uh, this is a guy who is, is coming off of a Tommy John surgery that happened in 2009, if I'm not mistaken uh, and there's been some concern expressed that um, you know a, a Tommy John survivor basically has about you know six seven eight years of shelf life uh, that certainly I think played into why they only gave him the five-year contract I think it probably did uh, his down you know slightly down numbers in 2015 along with a little bit of a you know a little bit of a lowering of his fastball velocity also played into it uh, I don't necessarily know that this is the beginning of the end for him. He was still a very good pitcher. I believe he put up, you know, three wins above replacement last year. And, you know, based on what a lot of people estimate market value is, something like seven and a half to $8 million per war, I think that's still a pretty good deal for them. And, you know, I'm not entirely sold on the whole, um, on the whole, you know, seven or eight years is kind of a shelf life for Tommy John. Uh, Tommy John surgery because there are so many factors that go into it such as you know whether the guy has had some sort of mechanical flaw that's been corrected 
with professional instruction. Because uh, Zimmerman had his Tommy John surgery very early on, uh, right, kind of right at the beginning of his ta- of his professional career there. Um, and so you wonder if the Nationals made any sort of adjustments to his injury. I mean, to his to his delivery when he was rehabbing from his injury, and that may kind of extend his career a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I know Al Avila, the general manager, was just on WXYT yesterday, I think it was, uh, doing an interview uh, with, uh, crap, <laughs> Valenti, maybe? Valenti and Foster, I think. Uh, anyway, the, they, they raised that same issue of the, the Tommy John surgery and, and the shelf life after that and that sort of thing. And I, I kind of liked his response to it. He basically said, you know, look, you, you, you've got... Uh, You've got risk no matter what when you sign a pitcher. Even if the guy had never had Tommy John surgery, you could still kind of come at it and say, but maybe he's going to need it you know, in a couple of years. So there's always going to be some risk in signing the pitcher. And you kind of get an insight into Avila's mind when he said he he understood that the shelf life was closer to like, uh, that window is more like 8 to 12 years, uh, with 10 being kind of the median there. And so he, that's exactly lines up. If it's a 10-year shelf life after surgery that exactly lines up with the end of Zimmerman's contract with Detroit. Well, in that quote unquote shelf life doesn't mean that the, the ligament is going to go, you know, kaput as soon as that shelf life ends. That just means that he may be a little bit more prone to other sorts of injuries or a little bit of arm breakdown in that regard. A lot of people say that the, the new Tommy John ligament uh, is a little bit stronger than than your normal God-given one after that surgery. And that shelf life kind of talks about more of that you know, period of, uh, I don't want to say in- invincibility, but that's kind of the way s- some people refer to it. So I think the shelf life is more referring to that, not necessarily like that ligament only has 8 to 10 more years and then it completely snaps. Right. This, like, there's an expiration date stamped on the new ligament that says, you know, this date five years from now, it's going to just pop and go bad like, a, like spoiled milk or something. It's like cottage cheese. Ew, ew. I don't even... Uh, let's leave that alone. Uh, you know who does like this signing? Who loves this signing, actually? Our good friend Dan Dickerson, who took to Twitter yesterday. And when you get Dan Dickerson going on Twitter, it's it's not only kind of a rare thing. I mean, I guess he does post-game recaps that, you know, he'll shoot out five or six tweets and kind of recap the game. But other than that, he doesn't tend to get on Twitter much. Haven't seen Especially him. not during the offseason. I was going to say, especially during this offseason, I haven't hardly seen him at all on Twitter. But he he got on yesterday and launched about, I don't know, 10 to 12 tweets and just kind of had at it, uh, explaining all in detail why he loves this Zimmerman signing. And I, I thought it was cool that he he definitely brought up and addressed some of the concerns. It wasn't all sunshine and roses, and this is going to be great. Uh, but when it comes to the, the Tommy John surgery in particular, he specifically said i'll just see here um many believe the shelf life of the tommy john repaired elbow is roughly seven to eight years but he noted that the guy the surgery was named after tommy john himself pitched for 14 years and 2500 innings after his surgery other pitchers who've pitched a long time after surgery he notes aj burnett pitched for 12 years 2200 innings and david wells uh who had his surgery in the minors so if dan dickerson's not concerned um yeah, who am I to be concerned, right? Yeah, um, you know there are obviously concerns that kind of come along with a deal like this. Anytime you're giving a pitcher, you know, five, six, seven-year deal, there's definitely risk to be involved. I don't necessarily know that Zimmerman, um, you know, being a Tommy John survivor, is m- more prone to you know these types of concerns than a lot of other pitchers out there. Um, 
Especially considering, you know, you think about it, like, what what are the other knocks on Zimmerman other than that he's had Tommy John surgery? Um, you know, the, everything that we've heard so far all kind of relates back to that surgery. Like, oh, his velocity went down last year. It's probably because of the Tommy John. No, um, fastball velocity tends to decline, especially when you start to hit that late 20s range. And seeing it go go down by, you know, about a mile per hour, if that, isn't necessarily a warning sign. Seeing someone like Doug Fister lose three or four miles per hour off of his fastball, that's a warning sign. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and some of the other, I guess you'd call them negatives, that, that Dan Dickerson addressed that I, I think we should probably discuss. I mean, Zimmerman had kind of a down year in, in 2015. Uh, his home run rate kind of shot up a little bit. Uh, Dickerson noted that his uh, over the last four seasons, uh, he's averaged 17 home runs per year. He gave up 24 home runs in 2015. But despite that, his extra base numbers went down, career low 25%. So that's maybe a good sign, you know, a, a ray of hope in what was an otherwise, you know, kind of an anomaly of a season for him. It was a weird season for him, and I believe that more of his home runs came kind of in the second half when the rest of his numbers actually looked really good. His strikeout rate went up in the second half. I believe his walk rate went down a little bit as well, but he just gave up a ton of homers for for whatever reason there, and it, it was really kind of a weird thing to see. Uh, yeah, his strikeout-to-walk ratio was 4.37 hmm. in the second half last year, uh, and his XFIP was 3.53, uh, XFIP controlling for home run right there. So... It's you know kind of a weird thing to see. I know that Jeff Sullivan over at Fangraphs took a look and noted that you know Zimmerman's fastball was kind of getting up higher in the zone, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, and you know his fastball was really good in 2014, but kind of declined a little bit in 2015. So, you know, there wasn't really a kind of a concrete conclusion to that article. He still wasn't sure. You know, Sullivan wasn't sure exactly what was going on with Zimmerman. But I think if we get the guy that, you know, the Nationals had in the second half minus the home runs, the Tigers are going to be in good shape. Or the guy that they had in the years prior to 2015, because those are not bad numbers. I think I was pointing out uh, somewhere else that Zimmerman could easily be your number two starter in a different rotation. In some rotations, he would even be maybe your number one starter. Yeah, uh, you know, his numbers over the last four years prior to uh, the 2015 season are very good. Uh, you know, in 2012, 2013, 2014, he's averaging, you know, almost 200 innings a season. His ERA is in the in the very low threes. So even with a little bit of a little bit of kind of the, you know, NL to AL uptick in ERA and, and runs allowed, I think that the Tigers will still be okay. The big selling point, I think not only in the stats, but in what Dan Dickerson was tweeting out seems to be Zimmerman's ability to kind of pound the strike zone. And you see that his walk rate is pretty low, uh, despite some of the troubles elsewhere with the home run rate and so forth. Uh, Quoting Dickerson here, he says, the thing you really like, he's a strike thrower and guys who throw a ton of strikes tend to have success and consistency year to year. And he kind of then compared him to other pitchers who had, you know, really high strike throwing rates in 2015. You're talking about names like Scherzer, DeGrom, Lackey, Price, Kershaw, good company to have. Uh, And then as far as, you know, kind of making that a predictive thing, Dickerson says the collective ERA of those top 15 strike throwers was 3.23, which just happens to be the same as Zimmerman's career ERA. If you can throw strikes, Rob, you tend to have success. 
You do. Um, I, I kind of chuckled at, at uh, Dickerson's tweet there because that was a nice little coincidence for him that uh, that Zimmerman's ERA matched up with all those other guys. Uh, one big difference between a lot of those guys and Zimmerman is that Zimmerman doesn't necessarily get as many swings and misses as right. a lot of them. Uh, his career swing strike percentage is only 8.7%. Uh, most elite starters you'll see around 10%. But at the same time, that's why Zimmerman's getting paid $22 million a year, not $32 million a year. And again, I, I can't stress this enough. I think it really adds to the value of this contract. The fact that they didn't give him seven years on this, they gave him five. I like what we're alluding to here. What's that? Well, the prices contract being <laughs> seven years and all that, you know, it's just such a huge deal. Just kind right? of rub that. Um, just <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. But getting, getting back to Zimmerman, uh, I do like that the deal's only five years. It's, you know, bogging down the payroll with some of these deals. I know that the Tigers have, you know, it, it's one thing to give a deal like that to Justin Verlander, Miguel Cabrera, um, but even the Victor Martinez deal and some of the some of the other contracts they have on the books. You know, look at Anibal Sanchez, a guy that signed a kind of comparable deal. Um, I was taking a look and trying to account for a little bit of inflammate, in, in inflation um, when comparing Sanchez's contract to Zimmerman's and I think Zimmerman's was slightly higher uh, but really you know you consider that Sanchez signed his five-year deal three years ago and his numbers are, I mean his contract is you know quite comparable to what Zimmerman got and you know you're looking at it he's still got two years left on that deal and we're almost kind of wondering if he's going to be able to get through that so you know if you imagine you know Sanchez having a six or seven year deal hmm. I think that it's definitely a good thing that the Tigers got you know a guy in Zimmerman only in five years so that hopefully we're not looking at this deal the same way that we're looking at Sanchez now and speaking of Sanchez as being part of that you know front of the starting rotation I, I guess this raises the question of then where does this leave the, the Tigers starting rotation at this point I think you've got you know, a pretty good one, two, three. Uh, do you see Zimmerman slotting in as number two? Do you see him as number three? Where do you where do you see that? I mean, I don't necessarily think that it matters uh, as far as actual numbers go. He'll probably be the number two. Um, I'm still not entirely sold that Sanchez is going to be back next year, uh, and I definitely don't think he's going to be you know pushing the 190, 200 innings that Zimmerman will be. Um, but I think that yeah, it's definitely a, a solid little top three in the rotation there. And if you can get you know some of the you know, a little bit more consistency out of Norris uh, compared to the the flashes that we saw in 2015. I think that they're going to have a, a nice little one, two, three, four. Yeah, I was thinking about it today. Just kind of some really rudimentary math. You kind of go, okay, how do I how do I rank the rotation? How do I feel about it? And if you kind of start with the fact that you've got five starters, and that's what you're going to be dealing with throughout the 162 game season, uh, each one of those starters represents 20 percent of your win total. Uh, you know, so I guess uh, what am I trying to get? At? It, it's, it's, it's there's other factors. Obviously, the bullpen is a, is a huge factor because your starters aren't going to pitch nine innings. Uh, the offense is going to be a factor there because if you don't have you know run support, as we saw with like Justin Verlander in 2013, it, it doesn't matter how good of a pitcher you are, you're, you're still not going to win games for the team. But if you can get yourself a solid one, two, three and realize that that represents 20, 40, 60% of your win total. If a team finishes with a 60% win rate or a 600 record, you've got a good team that's you know probably playoff bound. Now obviously these front three are not going to win all of their games. So that's why you need, you know, the back two guys to win a couple of those games too, but 
I, I just ask myself this question is, you know, how, 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 how do I feel about that front three as a solid 20% contributor to the win total? Justin Verlander, feel real good about that. Zimmerman, feeling pretty darn good about that. Sanchez would be the question mark because his shoulder is like raw hamburger meat or something. But it's if he can come back and be healthy and El Avila says that he's confident that he can, that's that's a decent shot right there with those front three. And as you said, adding someone like Norris at the back end who can, you know, if, as long as he can win a few more games than he loses, you got a team that's that's pushing towards contention. Well, you also need to look at the number five spot in the rotation. Um, you know, the Tigers have a lot of arms there right now, but not necessarily anyone that jumps off the page of me. There are definitely a lot of question marks with, you know, with every guy that they have that could be in that spot. Uh, and you can't necessarily have a situation like the Tigers have had in the past, you know, in the past couple of years where that number five starters are losing almost every start right. they make. Um, and so if you have someone like that, you know, there that really kind of puts a little bit more pressure, especially on the top three guys, to get more of those wins. Uh, so I think that yeah. the Tigers would do well to to add another starter, even if it's, you know, maybe not the best guy. You can kind of take a flyer on someone at this point. Um, but I think that adding another guy would help. Yeah, and I, I guess I wanted to clarify kind of the direction I was headed there because I think of Norris as being the number five guy and I know Alavila said he wanted his goal was to get two starting pitchers so I guess I'm looking at it and going that's a pretty decent one two three the Sanchez question mark aside and yet I, I feel like they are going to probably fill a fourth spot so depending on who that is that, that can make a huge difference in, in how you feel about the team and, and what they can accomplish in 2016. Yeah and the reason I kind of him and Haw about Norris being the number four or number five guy in this hypothetical rotation is because you wonder kind of what the Tigers are planning on spending for that other spot. You know, if they take a flyer on someone and pay someone, you know, four or five million bucks, maybe they go get Chris Young or someone to kind of fill that role a little bit and they can, you know, try out some of the younger guys in that spot as well and move shuttle Young back and forth from the bullpen. Uh, I actually think that he would be, you know, kind of, kind of nice for that role if you think about it. Um, but if you have someone like that compared to, you know, someone like maybe they go for Jeff Samarja or Wei Yin Chen or really kind of, you know, blow this luxury tax out of the water, like Mike Illich alluded to uh, in Zimmerman's press conference the other day, you wonder what exactly that means for the rest of the roster, the rest of the, the rest of the bullpen and whatnot. Yeah, all I know is that in that same press conference, Alavila made a comment to the effect of the next pitcher that we go and get is not going to be in the same aisle as the one that we got Zimmerman, kind of using this analogy of hey, Zimmerman's top shelf, the next guy that we get is going to be maybe middle or, or, or lower shelf. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily see them going out and getting another you know top flight like a Johnny Cueto to, to be the number four, but you don't need to for a number four spot. So very uh, interested to see how they approach that, and I, we'll probably find that out. I mean, if good chance that we'll find that out this next weekend as the winter meetings get kicked off. So, and that actually seems like a really good transition um, because we're going to talk about that in the next segment. So let's wrap up the rounding the bases, and when we go back, we'll go into warming in the pen. And the question is: Is this the storm before the even bigger storm? When we get back, here's the two-two. It's in the fly ball, right field, deep and down the line, and go. All right, let's get into our warming in the pen segment. Rob, is this the storm before the even bigger storm? There was no calm before the storm of the winter meetings to come. We were talking about the fact that Avila was 
going gangbusters over the Thanksgiving weekend and getting some things done. And uh, yet the winter meetings are coming up this uh, this coming weekend, I guess, starts on Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember which. It's traditionally been a time when deals get done. And Alavila and the Tigers are not done dealing. They're not done signing free agents, I don't think, or even making trades per se. Uh, what are you anticipating over this weekend? It's really tough to say what exactly to anticipate for the Tigers. We've seen Avila kind of show a surprising willingness to deal with other teams so far, but you wonder exactly what his plans are. More going into the winter meetings and whatnot. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that they make a, a trade or two. I don't necessarily know if he's going to pull off the same kind of blockbusters that Dave Dombrowski is known for. Well, that'll be interesting to watch exactly what he does. Uh, you know, at the helm of the Red Sox for the first time there. Um, but as far as Avila goes, you know, you'd, maybe he maybe he adds someone, uh, maybe he makes a trade. Actually, you know what? Since we're so bad at making predictions, I'm going to say that Al Avila does absolutely nothing in the winter meetings. <laughs> Full stop. I, I'm not even going to go that far. I mean, I know we're bad at this prediction business, like really, really, really bad. I don't even know why we keep doing it because uh, we're just wrong every single time. Uh, but even I wouldn't say nothing happens. Remember, do you remember last year, especially? I think it was, yeah, it was definitely last year's off season when we felt like, oh my god, they're not going to do anything because you know well, it was like everyone was like by. that. Like the nothing happened at the winter meetings for like three days. Like I think the biggest deal was, uh, I don't know, the Anthony Ghost deal happened at the winter meetings. No, that was before that, wasn't it? I think so. Um, but there was like nothing happening at all, and all of baseball was like, what the hell's going on? This yeah, morning. but even and then, then the was... last day. Like, everything exploded. Even though there weren't a bunch of huge moves right off, there was still, you had the rumor mill churning. You know, it's, oh, the, the White Sox are interested in so-and-so, and the Cubs are doing this, and the, whatever else was going on. But there was, like, not even Tiger rumors happening for two or three days. And, it was, yeah, it was like, are, are they actually going to do anything? Because I remember Dombrowski had made a bunch of moves leading up to it and had said something to the effect of, I think we're basically set. And then when the winter meetings came and like nothing was happening, a lot of us were saying uh, maybe he actually meant it. Maybe he really thinks that they're done dealing, and he still pulled off some pretty big stuff during that time. It, um, was that when? I think that's when Porcello was traded. For that was when they Cespedes. traded Porcello, and then the other trade that we're not going to talk about. I don't recall what that was even about. Good that we're not going to talk about it. And it's we're actually not talking about the Fister trade this time. We're no. talking about something else that didn't happen. And will never happen again. Uh, but no, knowing that um, that was the scenario last season, Dabrowski saying, ah, we're done. We're basically set. And yet he still executed some pretty big moves in the winter meetings. Compared that to this year where Al Avila is saying, yeah, I, I want another starter. Presumably he's going to get another relief pitcher for the bullpen. He may or may not do something with the outfield. I think that's kind of trending more towards, no, we're, we're, we're set there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think something happens at the winter meetings, although I don't know. He, the first two moves that he made were trades, and I didn't expect him to really do any trading. Not with the way he talked about this target list of players that were going after and the fact that, you know, quote unquote, the majority of them were going to go after in free agency. And so far, we've only seen one free agent signing. So I'm expecting the winter meetings to be all about signing somebody like, um, well, what, what the hell? We'll, we'll make some predictions here. I think they get one of Sean Kelly or Antonio Bastardo or some similar relief pitcher. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Sean Kelly or Ryan Madsen. Really? So I Madsen. think that so, yeah, I think it's someone like that. Um, you know, we had kind of noted before that Madsen is, you know, a guy who missed 
I think it was three full seasons. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery, and then there were like complications from the Tommy John surgery, so he missed the second season because of that. And I think the third season was just him trying to get his head right. And then he comes back and you know pitches like he had before, like nothing had happened. So I would I wouldn't mind getting him on you know maybe a two year deal, something like that. So one of those two guys I'd be happy with. Uh, yeah, and I'll go even further and say I expect them to sign that fourth starter as well. And I don't know who that would be. It's the names of, you know, we've kind of tossed around for weeks now on the podcast. And it's just, I'm going to say this, they, they've surprised me. Avila has surprised me quite a bit so far. So I, I dare not even walk onto that thin ice of trying to predict which of the remaining available free agent starting pitchers they're going to come back with. Especially now that he's talking about, you know, it being kind of a lower shelf or middle shelf acquisition. Well, I think that there's a couple different reasons why we might see a little bit more activity out of them this year, or at least more perceived activity. Um, For one, it seems like Avila is a little bit more fluid with his offseason plans than Dabrowski is. You know, uh, last year, Dabrowski, like you alluded to, kind of said, you know, I think we're set. Um, And I think that he views kind of the roster as, you know, these different puzzle pieces like a, you know, left fielder, a center fielder, a right fielder and whatnot. Whereas something we talked about last week, Avila kind of views this as more of a a fluid situation or almost an equation of sorts uh, as far as, you know, we need to score this many runs, prevent this many runs. And if he sees a deal that, you know, is going to make the team better, even if it doesn't necessarily make it, you know, perfect sense as far as the roster goes, he may kind of strike at that deal and make that and then kind of worry about the consequences later. Um, You know, that's kind of just the way I perceive his his plans throughout this offseason um mostly because i guess that's just me trying to make sense of the cameron maben trade maybe um but that's kind of how i how i view everything and the second reason i think that we're going to see more out of them is just simply because the tigers need more things uh last season what did the tigers need a left a left fielder um you know we had said fix the bullpen but that was always kind of a thing uh and this year they needed an outfielder they needed two starting pitchers they needed a bullpen they maybe even need a backup catcher uh you know they need a new hot dog vendor they need like 12 different 12 million different things and so it, avila's laundry list is just longer than dave dombrowski's he's got a lot to accomplish and you know what three four days to to get it done so yeah i, I see no reason why he wouldn't come out of there having acquired at least the starting pitcher and a reliever um reliefer i said reliever is the word that i want uh but beyond that um do you think they're going to do anything more with the outfield i don't know um you know i've seen multiple people mention kind of the alex gordon thing making sense for them i think it did at the beginning of the offseason but now with maven in the fold you know i kind of question what exactly they would do with that that's a lot um, of damn outfielders yeah, do you use Maven as your fourth outfielder? Do you try to move Maven or go say if you sign Gordon? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe they go for like more of a low key signing, someone that I had kind of talked about before. I I mentioned a name that pissed you off last time, so this time I'll go with someone like Steve Pierce, a guy that can play outfield. He can also play a little bit of first base. Give you know someone like Miguel Cabrera a spell. Um, you know maybe they go for someone a little bit more low key like that. Yeah, there's just there's too much uh, clogging up the outfield right now. Just in terms of you know, like I said, Ghost, Maven, Collins. Of course, Martinez is pretty secure in his spot out there. But then there's even I think of like what's going on in Toledo, and you got guys like Stephen Moya. Who, let's face it, I don't think he's major league ready. Not I mean not not for Detroit, but they got to do something with him at some point, right? You got to fish or cut bait. 
I don't know. Maybe they just kind of keep him in the minors for a while. I mean, you know, it, it's tough to say. A lot of guys, you know, someone like Mike Hessman, who has a lot of power and doesn't have a lot much else, he was in the minor leagues for an awful long time and, you know, had a had a call up early in his career. But other than that, didn't really do much with it. So maybe they just kind of keep him there and see if everything clicks at, at some point. Well, because... You know, we're talking about, I guess, my general feeling that they probably won't do anything more with the outfield. And because, you know, I just don't see them making a huge free agent signing. I think they're going to try and stay within a certain uh, budget limit or whatever. But because I've said that and because I'm so bad at these predictions, you watch. Now what's going to happen? They're going to go into the winter meetings and it's going to be Cespedes. They're going to sign some crazy deal with, with Cespedes or Gordon. As long as they don't do everything in the same damn day, like they did last year again, uh, that would be great. You know, that that day was busy as hell. It makes it so hard for guys like us that are trying to, you know, produce the content for the website. And you have to, like, basically be glued to Twitter at that point. And, uh, it was at, like, 10 o'clock on a Thursday. I was at work. It was. It was a morning wait, time. Wait till the evening, guys. Come on. <laughs> right. Throw right. us a bone. What am I going to tell my boss? I'm sorry. I got to go write a Tigers article because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it would be really nice if they could just work with our schedule, but that's probably not going to happen. And if I had planned it better last year when you know it was getting to the last day of the, of the winter meetings and nothing was happening, if I had been smart, I would have just taken that last day off because I should have seen it coming. Like, yeah, it's, it, this is going to be just an explosion of activity, and I should probably be prepared for it. So Maybe I'll do that next year. Well, next year they're having the meetings in your hometown there, aren't they? In Washington, D.C. That's, yeah. what, that's what I've heard. I haven't seen anything. Like, I Googled it, and I didn't find anything, but... You know, Patrick O'Kennedy, he's kind of all over all that stuff. So maybe maybe it really is a thing. But, you know, it would be I think that would be fun to kind of take a day and bum around the winter meeting, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, why not get, if get, anything. Real, get real close to the rumor mill and see what... If anything, get some rumors for myself. That'd be fun. <laughs> I can start selling them. No, no, it's... It's harder than that. I, I remember reading a Grant Brisby piece from maybe last year or two years ago, and he talked about that very thing. He just so desperately wanted just one rumor that he could kind of put out there and you know be the first to leak it, and, and he wasn't getting anything. It's it's apparently harder than than you might think to get any uh, juice from the rumor mill. So just get drunk with Brad Osmus. Well, that wouldn't be. <laughs> not That'd be it. fun. It'd be fun. Yeah, it, a lot of bad things might come out of that conversation though, because you know, in vino veritas and all that, and you'd start to loosen up, and I, I might just kind of light into him at that point. It would be great for the podcast. It would be awesome. I would have so many stories. It'd Better be great. Get that thing live. Oh wow, yeah. The nice thing is that I think the first two days of the winter meetings this year actually take place on the weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, or do they start on Sunday? Ah, Should have looked this up, but. Um, at least one of those, yeah, the first day of the winter meetings takes place either on a Saturday or a Sunday. There will be some weekend time in there. So maybe, maybe if we're lucky, they'll get the deals done on the weekend, and then we won't have to worry about how to fit that into the work schedule. So anyhow, uh, we were talking about trades and, and outfields and starting pitchers and bullpens. Bullpens, that's what we want to land on. There's something else coming up. The non-tender deadline hits tomorrow. And the Tigers have to make a decision whether they are going to hang on to Al Albuquerque and uh, Naftali Feliz. So there's going to be an announcement. Should they keep either of those guys? One? Both? I'd like to see them keep Albuquerque. Um, you know, uh, Patrick O'Kennedy laid out kind of the rules for tendering contracts to guys. Uh, in this case, you know, for arbitration eligible guys like Albuquerque and Feliz, they need to 
earn at least 80% of the salary that they had the year before. And with Feliz clocking in over $4 million, I don't necessarily know if you want to commit that amount of money to him. Um, so I think that letting him walk and then, you know, maybe you can get him back on like a minor league deal or something like that. I think it would be a lot better idea for the Tigers than to try to tender him the contract when, you know, based on the arbitration process and how it works, uh, it definitely heavily weights saves and past performance. So a guy like Feliz who spent a couple years as the Rangers closer racking up a ton of saves, he's probably going to get a significant raise even though he pitched like dog poop last year. Mm -hmm. So the, the, I think that, you know, paying a guy like that, you know, probably upwards of $5 million, I believe that's what he's estimated at. I don't necessarily know if that makes sense for them, and I would rather just kind of see them cut bait with him, even though he did have a have a nice little September. Uh, and then, you know, maybe you can get him back. Maybe you sign another guy who throws hard and can't hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> I, I think that you could do a lot better with that $5 million than paying it to Feliz. Okay, I, I'm with you on, on the idea that, look, he's going to get – in the neighborhood of five million dollars and boy i could think of a thousand other things that i'd rather see them do with five million dollars than hang on to a guy like dog poop throwing fillies what about the idea though that you get his money off the books and you get albuquerque's money off the books you put that savings together and go get a, a genuinely consistent reliever because i look i like al albuquerque i really do he shows flashes of just super brilliance but it's never consistent, and you never know. Day-to-day -day when he goes out to the mound, you don't know who you're getting. What, is it worth it to let both of them walk and then put that money towards somebody else? I think it is, and it really kind of goes back to what exactly the Tigers' payroll is. Um, you know, I at $2 million is for what uh, Albuquerque is estimated at, I think that the Tigers can kind of wiggle around that and still get the guys that they want. I don't necessarily know if that's stopping them from going to get, you know, a Darren O'Day or a Joaquin Sori. I think that those guys' asking prices are what's stopping them, the Tigers, from getting those guys. So I don't necessarily know if, you know, Albuquerque, cutting Albuquerque, I don't know if it's cutting Albuquerque is the answer. And I think that the Tigers would do well to hold on to him, you know, make the other additions that they want. And hopefully, you know, Al, Al turns back into the guy that was pretty dominant in, you know, 2013, 2014. Or yeah, not 2013, it, 2012 and 2014. Right. 2013 was bad. 2013 was not good. 2015 was not good. Maybe he's on this kind of like uh, even year plan in which case. He's like the Giants. Yeah, right? So 2016 should be awesome. The other, the other you know, variable in there is that the Tigers have a new pitching coach in Richard Doobie. <laughs> Doobie-doo. And you wonder, you know, if he's able to help at all uh, to get Albuquerque throwing more consistently. Because, again, when, when he's right and he's got that nice hot fastball and a devastating slider if he can locate those pitches he's virtually unhittable he's better against lefties than most of the loogies the tigers have thrown out there over the years including gorzolani and coke and so forth ideally if you can spend two million for a consistent al albuquerque you've got yourself one hell of a deal it's just it, you know, do you want to take that risk well, I don't even know if it's about consistency as much as with him, you know, going back to, you know, some of his better years uh, in 20, 2011, kind of his breakout season, he walked six batters per nine innings, um, but he still had an ERA under two and a whip of only 1.15 because he just didn't allow any hits to anyone. Right. And I think that you got to get him back to not necessarily being more consistent, throwing more strikes, but being the absolute unhittable demon that he was back then. And if he walks, you know, a quarter of the guys that he faces, that's great. But but, you know, he was also striking out about half the guys he faced. His strikeout per nine was about 14 that year. And it's a little bit worrying that his strikeout rate has definitely gone down 
uh, over the last three years, well, his you know uh, his hit rate or the number of hits that guys are getting off him are definitely going up. So it's not a not a good trend, and I almost wonder if just kind of unleashing him and letting him go back to whatever the heck he was doing early on in his career might be a little bit more effective. Yeah, I guess when I say consistency, I'm talking about consistently being able to you know locate his pitches and have better control of the pitches uh because either way either he's missing the spots and he's walking a ton of batters which okay if you're gonna strike out every you know other batter and walk every other batter then fine you'll get out of the inning before too much damage is done if you're not giving up hits but at the same time you don't want a reliever that comes in and you're gonna go you're gonna put the tying and winning runs on base really and possibly throw wild pitches that let those runs score or balk in the winning walk-off run as he did once upon a time I would much rather him come out and throw consistent pitches where he wants to hit the you know hit hit the spots that he wants to hit because honestly I think it's it's one and the same problem if you can't hit your spots and it's showing up in walks eventually you're going to miss those spots and they're going to be hits because you're missing in the zone now yeah and you almost wonder if the kind of the downturn in numbers uh, over the last couple of years is opposing hitters kind of getting used to his stuff and knowing that you can't necessarily just go up there looking to hit it, hit everything. And you have to really kind of be more patient with him and try to get in the zone. Well, it's a very uh, it would simple be interesting battle to plan. see, you know, it's just, well, yeah, I mean, you basically three just sliders be... in the dirt and I'll wait for him to throw me a fastball down the middle and then exactly. that's it. And if he doesn't, then exactly. I'll take my walk. Now, and I wonder if that's kind of the battle plan for a lot of guys now is that just kind of wait them out and then, you know, see what you get. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting little cat and mouse game, but I think that if the Tigers can get him right, I think he's definitely worth that $2 million. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. If you can get Al Albuquerque right, he's, like you said, he's the unhittable demon, and that's something you really want for $2 million if you can get it. I guess it's just to that decision point of saying, do we do we go ahead and try that again, or is now the time to... Put that money off the books, get Feliz's money off the books, and go get another reliever who's a little bit more consistent in that. So we'll we'll see. I guess we're going to know by, when is it, midnight tomorrow? Or is it like 5 o'clock tomorrow? I have no idea. I just I know it's tomorrow. tomorrow. We'll know by, by Thursday then, certainly. All right, that should wrap it up for our Warming in the Pen segment. When we come back, we will do high and tight. You won't have Alex Avila to kick around anymore. More on that when we get back. A fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back. Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone. A home run. Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at bat of the day. And on with the show we go into the high and tight segment. You won't have Alex Avila to kick around anymore. The news coming out just before Thanksgiving that Alex Avila son of general manager Al Avila, has signed a contract with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, that's what I said, the Chicago White Sox. You know, Rob, he was on my, when we did our free agent prediction lists there, uh, I chose Alex Avila as one of those kind of, uh, should have been an easy pick, should have been easy to predict where he would go. I I missed, I completely missed. I did not see the White Sox coming. So many feelings about this. What do you have to say about it? Did it really have to be the White Sox of yeah. all teams? Yeah, that that was the one that kind of stings a little bit. Um, but you definitely see why you did it. Uh, I don't necessarily know that two and a half million over one year was the highest offer that he got, but I think that he's going to get a good amount of playing time there. The White Sox, you know, I think their only catcher on the roster right now is 
Tyler Flowers, who uh, by all accounts, I think is a you know decent pitch framer and kind of a good defensive catcher, but doesn't really provide much offensively. Uh, and so if you can get a guy Avila, you know, maybe he gets a little bit healthier. Maybe he starts hitting the ball a little bit better. I don't necessarily want to say that he's ever going to get back to 2011 form, but if he can kind of be the guy that he was in 2012 and 2013, kind of a solid underrated offensive piece, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good, pretty good situation for him to be in. Well, you talk about a character who is just so polarizing in the Tigers fan base, and you had people on one side, and I probably count myself in that camp, the team Avila, seeing the value in what he brought as far as pitch framing in defense, uh, even in his on-base percentage, which was consistently in the top five of the Tigers you know, lineup. Uh, there were there were times during the season when his on-base percentage was second only to Miguel Cabrera. The guy knew how to take a walk. He had trouble hitting as his low batting average demonstrated. So that's why you had the other half of the fan base that just absolutely freaking hated the guy said he was worthless, said he was garbage, said the only reason he's on the team is because of nepotism, you know, because it was his dad that was the assistant GM. The funny thing is it's really the nepotism thing that kind of, I think led to the situation where there was just no way he was coming back. Absolutely. Uh, You know, the writing was kind of on the wall when Al Avila even took over as the GM. I remember that he was asked about that kind of the first day that he, he took over. And the the answer that he gave that day was very awkward and really kind of seemed like he wanted to distance himself from his son uh, professionally. And you, you kind of get why, um, but at the same time, it would have been nice to have Avila back, especially on that deal. Two and a half million for a catcher like him who's capable of putting up, you know, two wins above replacement so could, that could be a steal for the white Sox. yeah i feel like maybe if we'd had a more uh sabermetrically aligned you know saber friendly manager who would have been willing to do something like let alavila bat higher in the order and let him take his walks and get on base ahead of someone like cabrera people might have seen more value in what avila was doing but i noted this last year that for as many times as he could get on base he was always batting towards you know the bottom of the order so it hardly ever mattered you know if he drew a walk who cares? You had the number eight and nine batters coming up and just it didn't go well after that. But, um, man, can you imagine this? This news broke. I think it was literally on, on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm trying to envision what that what that looks like in the Avila home as they gather around the table for turkey and mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this awkward silence. You know, Mrs. Avila's looking over at Al going, you son of a... That, that had to have been... To be a fly on the wall for that would have been awesome. Would have been interesting, especially because I think Avila's other son works for the Tigers organization now. I think they've drafted like five Avila's in the Tigers uh, organization over the... Well, I don't necessarily know if he was drafted. He, I think he's like working in like the scouting department or something like that. Right. So he might be elsewhere. You know, <laughs> that's even weirder. So, so he's just like sitting there glaring at his brother, <laughs> eating his mashed potatoes. Yep. Looking forward to summer in the Motor City next year. How about you, Al? Oh, sorry. That's right. You're going to Chicago. Well, you know, at least we're still mostly neighbors because Chicago's not that far. So... The problem that this creates, outside of the awkward family relations that they now have to deal with <laughs> ongoing, <laughs> this is going to be just an ongoing thing, too, because if Alex Avila somehow hits his stride for the White Sox and, against all odds, becomes a you know a 260 hitter with 18 home runs in 2016, man, that's going to be fun, fun to watch. That's um, going to sting. 
it's it's going to stink for us as Tigers fans, but I'd love to see it happen. Just some kind of vindication for the poor guy because, man, he took a beating behind the plate for this team year in and year out. The problem that this creates, though, is that this leaves us with Brian Holiday as the backup catcher. Uh, and I'm telling you, I, I felt okay with James McCann being the rookie, coming in, having to learn the trade a little bit, as long as he had the veteran presence of Alex Avila you know, to kind of buoy him up and, and be a platoon partner with him. I'm not sure how I feel about James McCann slash Brian Holiday. I don't feel great about it. And the reason why I really don't like it is because who's behind Holiday? You know, we've seen over the years of Vila getting beat up so many times and spending a lot of time on the disabled list. When he was missing time, you had, you know, Holiday down in AAA, uh, you know, kind of a solid little you know, backup type catcher that can come up and fill that role. I mean, I think that any organization now, you almost need three catchers, not two. And the Tigers really only have two right now. So, you know, what if James McCann, you know, gets concussed and spends six weeks on the disabled list? Who's coming up then? Um, it's just really kind of not a, not a great situation for them. And it speaks more to, you know, lack of depth in the organization and still kind of the stars and scrubs mentality. Although that's a kind of a different debate for a different day. Um, it's just, you know, I definitely I don't necessarily like it. I think that Tigers could live with Holiday as a backup playing, you know, 50 or so games over the course of the season. But, you know, you really kind of need that third guy, and that's why I don't necessarily like this. Yeah, they have uh, Cade Civic, who played for West Michigan this year and, and showed a little bit of promise. But he's so far from, you know, getting up to the big show and being able to contribute. I mean, it's couple of years at least before that happens and so who do you have i don't even i probably couldn't even name three catchers you know after holiday whether at toledo or erie or wherever we have to get emily walden to answer that question yeah there are some other guys down there i know that uh what's the guy's name grayson griner yeah, i believe Greiner. he was drafted in 2014 um but he you know he was just awful offensively for lakeland last year and i don't necessarily know if he's anywhere close to moving up the ladder uh you know the other guys up in the the higher stretches of the organization really just kind of organizational organizational type guys um you know i think one of the guys they signed you know hit a little hit a little bit at toledo but definitely isn't the guy the kind of guy defensively that you want behind the plate at the big league level so you know maybe they add a backup later on in the offseason maybe uh, i don't know it's just not a not a great situation for them right now right and i'm not hearing a whole lot of well any talk really uh, that they're even looking for you know some i don't know some veteran catcher like avila who would be maybe on a one-year deal or anything like that you know who would have been nice to pick up is brian pena but no, that's 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 not going to happen because that news also broke just recently. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, damn it, got Brian Pena. You can't have him. You can't. He's of all the teams to sign him, right? like literally any other team, I would have been okay with. Not the Cardinals. Not the soul stealing Cardinals. No, no. I was okay with him playing in Cincinnati, loved him in Detroit, and there was maybe just this, this flicker of hope in that part of my brain that, you know, handles irrational thought and thought, well, maybe, maybe Pena's on the market, he should be cheap, the Tigers, you know, could benefit from having a backup backup catcher, and I'd rather see Pena than Holiday, but alas, it is not going to happen, and now I don't know if I can even root for the guy, because he's the Cardinals! 
that's the one I'm saying. Like even even if you you signed with the Yankees or something like that, I would have I would have been okay with it. You know, pinstripes are slimming, and it would have been <laughs> it would have been just kind of fun to see him. You know, hitting in that stadium, of all things. You know, he hits a little homer into the jet stream there and sprints around the bases <laughs> and runs the, the bases in three seconds. But the, but the Cardinals, no, it's just oh, it, it's infuriating. And I think that backup catcher is kind of one of the spot, like the one spot on the roster where you could you know kind of afford to have a little bit of fun with. Maybe Pena wouldn't have been the best guy for that role, but he's so fun to have that I would definitely would have been happy with the Tigers bringing him back. He wasn't a bad player. I mean, maybe not all-star caliber or anything like that, but he was consistent. I liked him in Detroit. I thought he did a damn good job. And yeah, yeah, not I I really will have a hard time even rooting for him if he's going to go play for the Devil Magic Cardinals. You know what? Screw you, Brian, and your stupid nerds. Just ugh. And your Fig Newtons and your, your yeah, all that other God, that fun stuff, the fun stuff, which is not fun anymore because this, this is the worst. Yeah. Best of luck to you, Brian. Maybe next time, maybe the Tigers will wise up and finally bring him back. Cause yeah, cool guy. Elsewhere in MLB and people that are signing and not signing and talking about signing, we had the news that Johnny Cueto was being pursued heavily by the Arizona Diamondbacks and turned down a deal for six years and $120 million. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. For Johnny Cueto, you feel like he was worth more than that? Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily know if he's worth more than that, but <laughs> seeing after seeing what David Price signed for, it kind of makes sense that Cueto would have turned that down. I think that he's probably going to get a little bit more than that now. Uh, you wonder if the Diamondbacks are going to up their offer at all. Um and, you know, I, I guess Arizona is not exactly the most attractive free agent destination for a guy like Cueto. Yeah. You know, where where exactly is that roster going right now, especially with the uh, especially with the Dodgers and Giants kind of in an arms race at the top of that division? Right. Welcome just, to Arizona. It sucks right? here. Yeah. Coming. I mean, the weather's the weather's nice, but he's there in the summer. So the for weather's not years. even nice there for then. six years, Rob. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Would you go play for the Diamondbacks for six years? Uh, Phoenix is nice. I don't care about Phoenix. Would you play for that team for six no, years? Probably not. That's just like staring down the butthole of hell right there. Why would you that's, even consider it? That stadium's awful too. Yes, the whole thing is just an awful, awful experiment that needs to end. It's like so. It's so dark in that stadium. It's weird. They've got the pool though, don't they? They do have the pool. Oh, that's that's where the Dodgers went swimming and mm-hmm. Puig took a Puig in the pool or some. Stupid thing, <laughs> but no. When I break that down, 120 million over six years. I guess that is only average, you know, 20 million per year. And you look at the fact that hey, Zimmerman just got more than that, uh, you know, signing for the Tigers. And at least the Tigers offer some hope of contention. There's some promise of we might get you to the, to a postseason, which is I think what every ball player ultimately wants. Uh, so yeah, I guess. If I were Johnny Cueto going, yeah, really, $20 million a year, and i got to go spend six years in that hellhole? Probably not. Wise on his part, I think, to hold out uh, and, and see what happened with guys like David Price and Zach Greinke. And we're going to talk about that David Price thing, but you know what I'm saying. It, it basically, a guy like David Price and Zach Greinke could set that market value a little bit higher. And now Cueto maybe has a little more bargaining power to go out and say, yeah, you're not going to give away with $20 million per year for six years yeah um yeah i i wonder now kind of what he will get maybe he'll get you know we'll get up upwards of 25 million now you know if you get price earning over 30 million granky might even get more than that per year 
you know, maybe maybe Cueto can kind of leverage his way into something like twenty five because Zimmerman's got yeah. twenty two million per year, and people are kind of pegging Cueto above him in this little pecking order. So, right, I was gonna say he, he was like I said ranked below Zimmerman, but you know if Zimmerman gets twenty two, Cueto could certainly get somewhere in that neighborhood. I think so. Wise move to turn down the, the offer from the Diamondbacks. Honestly, like I said, if the Diamondbacks hell if they offer twenty five, I'd still say no. You're the Diamondbacks. You not even a baseball team. I want to play for a major league team, not a 4A team. Uh, and finally, the Blue Jays signed J.A. Happ. He got $36 million over three years. How, how, how does this affect your, your uh, opinion of the Zimmerman deal when you look at these kind of numbers? Well, you look at you know the, the Blue Jays spending almost as much per year for J.A. Happ and Marco Estrada as what the Tigers paid for Jordan Zimmerman. It you know, it really kind of makes the deal look pretty good, especially considering the Tigers only spent, you know, or only given him five years. It, it, it a lot of people were really kind of surprised that the Tigers only had to give Zimmerman that much guaranteed money. So I'm, you know, the deal's definitely looking better by the day. I think they have, you know, they still have a lot more holes to fill, and that's kind of coming in another segment. Um, but as far as the deal itself, it's another. I think it's another win for Alavila. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I, I love that in the show notes here, which of course we prepared, you know, today, earlier, uh, before the price news, you've got this note that says that this uh, the signing of J.A. Happ takes the Blue Jays and, of course, the Tigers out of the price sweepstakes. Everybody's out of the price sweepstakes now, baby. It's done. He has gone to Boston, and we have some questions dealing with that coming up in the next segment. So I think we'll hit the eject button on the high and tight segment. When we come back, we'll go into the mob scene at home. Take some listener questions, including questions about David Price. And uh, we're going to be asking another question. Just how saber savvy is Alavila? We'll sort that out when we get back. Swing the fly ball left field. Deep going back. Cabrera looking up. And it's gone. A home run. James McCann with the walk-off winner. Number three. Rounding third. Exchanges the low 10 with Dave Clark and into the mob scene at home. All right, let's do this. Let's go into the mob scene at home. Take some listener questions. As we say every week, we love to interact with you guys, love to get the questions. It's kind of a fun part of the segment. The questions are coming in hot and heavy now that we're taking them uh, via the website. That's probably the primary way to get to us. Of course, you can still reach us uh, on Twitter at HookslideBYB and BYBRob, or you can send us an email if you still are into email things bybtigers at gmail.com a lot of questions to get to uh this week rob the first one we'll kind of uh, address this question of just how saber savvy really is uh alavila the question comes from the site 11 nushin god these names people come up with they're just i don't know at least hook slide makes sense it's a baseball thing i yeah, whatever uh, a couple of questions here though <laughs> like this first of all how many times will people leave off the second n in zimmerman's name i think i threatened to fire like half the byb staff for that already so i i think it's just going to be something we deal with throughout the entirety of his contract here and maybe it'll turn into one of those things that you know he only gets one n when he's not pitching well uh, <laughs> and he only earns the second one by pitching well a true story though when you made that comment about firing people and unfollowing on twitter anybody who left off the second n it was the first time i kind of realized that there was a second N. And I had to go back and look at all the times I talked about it. I went, shoot. Yep. Didn't know about the second N. Just I, my brain blocked it out. So I will 
I would set an over under on this, but the number is too big. People are just going to do this constantly. Even in Dan Dickerson's tweets yesterday about Zimmerman, he was constantly leaving off the second N. It does save room on Twitter. It does. Do you really need two N's at the end? I mean, come on. You have two M's in the middle. You don't. You don't need the extra N. Zimmerman. Did you say it right? No, I left off the extra N. Zimmerman. It, just, it reminds me of Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, and now I'm hungry. Hmm. Yeah, let's take a quick break and go get some food, and then we'll be back. All right, the follow-up question, the serious question. How do you take Avila's interview on WXYT, the one that I referred to earlier in the show? Uh, do you think he was dodging the sabermetrics question because he wasn't willing to discuss all of his inner secrets? Or do you think he isn't fully in on all of it? Uh, you might construe how he sounded during the press conference that the two divisions were wholly separate. Now, you got to have a little bit of... Um, I guess, background on this for anyone who did not hear the interview on WXYT. Uh, what happened was that the reporter asked about the Zimmerman signing, said what specifically from the analytics guys really jumped out and made Jordan jump off the page for you. Uh, so expecting kind of a sabermetric response from Avila, he he did kind of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he dodged the question, but he did spend more time, I think, talking about things like uh, Zimmerman's work ethic and the fact that, you know, he'll do what it takes to, you know, pitch every fifth day all year for you, that kind of thing. Um, as far as the sabermetrics goes, you know, I loved this, Rob. He said, um, if you talk to any of those guys, the analytics guys, uh, he says, and I will hope that in the near future you guys do because we will be open to let them talk to the media from now on. You know, sometimes those guys stay in a room, but we're going to let them out. Dude, we're, we got to get Sam Menzen on the show. I, I laughed at that so hard because I, you know, I just pictured like all these guys are like, locked in a room and then he like Avila walks down there with the keys and like opens up the door and they're like shielding their eyes because there's light yes. <laughs> and like they finally get to come out for, you know, like two minutes per day or something like that. Um, so I thought that I definitely cracked up at that part of the at that part of the interview. It's um, such a stereotype, but... Rob. I've worked in IT for uh, God, 20 years now and it's, it is absolutely it's so true though. We live in a dungeon it's and we only open the door true. for we only open the doors for guys that are sliding in pizzas Cheetos or Mountain, and Mountain Dew. Dew. Yep, that's it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Let him out. Um but anyway, getting getting back to kind of the question at hand. I don't necessarily know if he dodged the question. I think that you know, if anything I'm more encouraged by the fact that he's taking uh, a multifaceted approach to this. You know, mm -hmm. he's acknowledging, you know, all the different components you need to explore when you're signing a guy, when you're committing to a guy for five years, you know, you're looking at the analytics and I think that Zimmerman passes that test. You're looking from a scouting perspective and I think that he passes that test. And then some of the other things he, you know, he cites, you know, he cites Zimmerman's work ethic. I think that that's something that the, that the, you know, the Tigers really kind of need to take into account when they're signing a guy like that. Uh, you want a guy that's going to, you know, put in the work, not necessarily someone that just kind of relying on natural talent alone. I don't necessarily know if that's a slap in the face to anyone else on the open market right now. I think that all of the guys, you know, especially these top tier guys, I think they all, you know, have pretty good, you know, a pretty good worth work ethic. I don't think that, you know, I don't think you can get to that level without having, you know, an amazing work ethic and a, an amazing dedication to your craft. Um, 
But I think that, you know, taking all of this into account is important for an acquisition like this and not just looking strictly at the numbers. You know, maybe you can do that with a reliever you're paying three or four million to bucks per year to. But a guy that you're committing, you know, that much of your payroll to, I think that you really need to look at it from all angles. And I'm, and I'm happy that the Tigers definitely explored all of those avenues. Right. I mean, because for as much as we, you know, trumpet the numbers and they are important, they help you make the right decisions. Ultimately, uh, I don't think either of us would advocate you know, this idea that the game is played on a spreadsheet. I mean, it, it's just not. You have to take all the other stuff into account. And for, again, for those who didn't hear the interview, I'll sum it up real quick. Basically, as far as the analytics stuff, he just said, uh, I don't think there's any one area that jumped out. Uh, it said it's, um, uh, let's see here, they'll tell you it's an overall picture, not only the numbers, but a lot of things that actually had nothing to do with the numbers. I would say it's not one specific area, but several in general. And then he went on to talk about the scouting and I said, Hey, we, we've been following him for a long time. We've got a history, uh, the history of the player himself and the character, the hard work, the hardworking man that he is. And, uh, yeah, he did kind of take a bit of a stab at, I don't know who, cause he says, um, uh, this guy will do everything in his power to be able to go out there and pitch every fifth day for the next five years. You can't say that about everybody, but there's certain players out there that you can say and, and so on and so on. So I don't know if he had somebody specific in mind. Bruce Rondone um but yeah apparently it's 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 a thing so yeah a good blending of scouting and analytics and yeah I don't think there's any uh cause for concern there that Zimmer, uh, Zimmerman Avila is really not all in on on sabermetrics I think he is so and I would cite other things that he said as proof of that just things like we're going to get the best relievers available not based on whether they're right or left-handed that's a very kind of new school way of looking at things very anti-old school question from cleveland james uh, it appears that zimmerman's deal inclu- includes a full no trade for the first three years with a list of 10 teams he can be traded to in the final years of the deal how do you think that affects the value the tigers received in the deal does the full no trade and the partial no trade take some of the luster off the terms that many thought were favorable no i don't think so um a lot of these deals will come with some sort of no trade protection. And I think that's more just kind of for the athletes peace of mind. I think that if, you know, things really do go south and, you know, the Tigers kind of fall off the rails or getting into a point where they're looking to rebuild, I think that, you know, Zimmerman would waive that no trade protection if that's going to send him to a contender. So I don't really think that it makes, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add to that. I think it's absolutely right. It's, it's fairly common. And like you said, if, if they're in a position where they need to rebuild and they're, they're sucking anyway, and Zimmerman would probably be happy to get offloaded at that point. Ben Harvey asks with the acquiring of Jay Z, that's awesome. We have a JV and a Jay Z. Uh, why does Al Avila feel the, uh, I'm not reading that right. Oh, why does Al Avila feel the addition of a second back end starter is necessary? Is Shane green, not a viable number five guy. Also, why does MLB network keep penciling in buck farmer? <laughs> That's the Tigers' fifth starter. I think there are a lot of things that MLB Network does that really kind of puzzle me, including employ Harold Reynolds, right? Um, as well as the the guy who who's the the High Heat or whatever that show is. That show I Chris I literally Russo. watched like two minutes of that show and I couldn't take anymore. It was terrible. He just I yells the entire time. Cannot get past his intro. It's, I I don't even remember. I the dude does not understand know. that the microphone actually does the amplification for you. You don't have to mm-hmm. yell because. We can hear you. Yes. Oh. Anyway, yeah. getting back to this, um, 
I do, you know, it's it's definitely tough to rely on Shane Green at this point. You know, we have this kind of a large sample of, you know, what he did in 2015 and a little bit of what he did in 2014. And we're still really kind of questioning who this guy really is. Is he the guy that was very good in 2014 and for three starts in 2015? Or is he the guy that kind of fell apart before we learned about all this numbness in his arm and whatnot in 2015? Um you know, I, do you really want to go into the 2016 season banking on him again, or do you want to kind of add someone else to kind of hedge your bets a little bit? Uh, and I think that it also goes back to you know some of the some of the injury risks the Tigers have. You know, you got a guy in Daniel Norris who is probably only going to throw maybe 150, 160 innings next year. You have you know Anibal Sanchez, a big time injury risk, and I think that every starter you add to the to the organization definitely helps just kind of improve your depth and you know kind of it adds insurance for when one of these guys inevitably goes down i mean justin verlander of all people missed two months last year so you know having more guys in the organization isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as if you treat a flyer like a you know the flyer that he should be i think they'll be in good shape yeah, I'm reminded of what uh, we talked about last week and Stan Conti saying that 50% of starting pitchers will miss time, uh, even significant time, to injury in any given year. And therefore, the team with the pitching depth has a, a big advantage, has an edge over other teams. If you can kind of fall back on whoever you've got, uh, you know, t- to fill those spots. So, yeah, the thing with Shane Green, and I've talked highly of him. I'm very excited to see what he can do over the next couple of years. I'm not sure that 2016 is necessarily going to be that year because... I do think he's going to be on some kind of an innings limit. Um, so I don't know if I would, you know, say, yeah, he's the one you want to lean on for a full role, you know, in that, in that fourth starter position. It's not going to hurt. It is not going to hurt anything to bring on an extra starter. You want the depth. So I'm not sure about Buck Farmer, though. That's bizarre. Jaja Bojangles uh, says, does Avila go for relief pitchers via trade? If so, which reliever or team makes the most sense? But if Avila goes for the free agency pool, what pitchers does he target most closely? Uh, I really don't know if he would make another trade for a reliever. And that's just because, you know, it's tough to say who who's available. Who would he go for? Um, as far as the free agency route, I think we already talked about a couple guys in in Sean Kelly and Ryan Madsen, you mentioned Antonio Bastardo. There are a lot of guys out there, and I think that the the Tigers would definitely go for at least one of them, probably multiple. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. But as far as the trade goes, yeah, that's just it's really tough to predict. It it is because it opens up again. You can now got to look at all thirty teams and say who's out there, who'd be willing to trade, who needs what, you know, in what area. I, it's just so hard to to say i mean he like i said he surprised me already by by trading to get k-rod by trading to get maven so it's not out of the question that you know he's he's got a strategy of targeting teams that are on the rebuild and may have somebody in mind that let's go get that guy i'm not sure who the tigers have left to offer in trade and again a lot of that depends on what the receiving team needs i would love to have them get rid of moya though i'm just so tired of people Stephen Moya for old this Chapman. Well, Do it yeah, there you go. Just show them a highlight reel of of Moya hitting 500 foot bombs because he can do that when he's not busy hitting 198 per year. He'll hit some very long home runs. Uh, outside of that, oh yeah, fish or cut bait, Tigers. Um, yeah, and you've said we we've already talked about the free agents. So as for the question of which direction does Avila go, I'm gonna say he goes free agent signing rather than than trade which means that he won't because i'm wrong always 
Has so it? should I say that he's going to go trade? If you do that, then nothing will happen. They just so he's going to sign free agents. Yeah, just just agree with me, and then we can both be wrong. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Follow up question: <laughs> Who signs last, Price or Hayward? <laughs> do either sign during the winter meetings? What do you predict, Rob? Well, I wrote underneath that in the show notes, Welp with giant caps. <laughs> David so. Price, none signed a contract, and it was a whopper. Uh, well, I don't think he's technically signed the contract yet, so there's still time. Well, let's not pick nits here. He's going to sign the contract. It's out all It's all over Twitter. I mean, that's, already, the thing, that's the only thing we have to say about that. They they photoshopped him into a Boston hat. It's, it's a done deal. It's got to be. They don't Photoshop things that aren't done deals. I, I know this. Uh, yeah, seven years, if I'm not mistaken. Seven years and 200 and some odd. It works out to be like $31 million per year. $217 million per year. It is $31 million per year. The only reason why I know the $31 million per year, Rob, is because David Price was one of the guys you predicted in your free agent list, which means you now get credit for the $31 million. And yes. I am way the hell behind on this game because... Pena went somewhere else. Alex Avila went somewhere else. I'm down to like six free agents on my... This is why I went for the most expensive guys, because when I hit one, it's a huge one, and I'm yep. way ahead. Yeah, the strategy I'll, seems I to might be... Go, I might go one for eight, but I might still win with that one. <laughs> I'm going to need to hit all six of my remaining predictions to catch that one, because that's just... That's unreal. And we have questions surrounding that, so let's let's talk a little bit about this. Um Orden Rot asks, on a scale of Nerf gun to A-bomb, how big of a bullet did Al dodge by not signing Price to the contract that he got from the Red Sox? I'm really uh, kind of interested in this whole, uh, in the whole opt-out clause that, that David Price has. Um, for those that don't know, don't know, Price's deal is seven years, $217 million with an opt-out option after three years. So the, the Red Sox could feasibly pay him Thirty-one times three is ninety-three million over three years, and then he hits free agency again. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the market looks like then, not only from a standpoint of which guys are available on the market, but how much money is available in the game at that point. Will player salaries continue to escalate at the ridiculous rate that they have been, or will this whole cable TV bubble burst by then, and will the money kind of evaporate a little bit? So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens with that. Um, I think that it's you know kind of a decent bullet that the the Tigers dodged there, but not a huge one. Um, I think that the Tigers just kind of had their own guy in mind, and you know I'm I'm glad that they they got their guy and you know they they have Zimmerman for yeah, I think just over half of what Price is guaranteed over those seven years uh, if he stays all seven years. Um, so you know I it's it's a definitely a a better situation I think for Detroit, but you know it's definitely two. Two different situations here as far as, you know, the Red Sox just have the money to spend on that. They do, and, and yet they don't. I was just running some preliminary numbers as this news was breaking and saying, yeah, their their uh, payroll in 2015 was, I don't know, in the neighborhood of $10 million more than the Tigers was. But when you look at the fact that they've got Hanley Ramirez tied up for the next four years, they've got Pablo Sandoval tied up for the next four years, uh, you talk about the, the guaranteed three years of David Price, they're getting close to where the Tigers at in terms of having, you know, 40-ish percent of their payroll now tied up in just three players. This is such a Dombrowski move. This is so... <laughs> Let's trade away a bunch of prospects for a proven closer. Let's, you know, break the bank on the 
big starter. And here's the thing, Rob, David Price is a damn good pitcher. I'm not going to deny that. He's not the second coming of Jesus H. Pitcher, okay? Zimmerman's not, he's not Price, but are we really talking that big of a difference? Price is not immaculate. He's not going to come out and, you know, go 33-0. and 0. Yeah, I mean, it's, I I definitely would, you know, if we were going down to one game playoff, I would definitely take Price over Zimmerman, but, mm-hmm. you know, for basically two-thirds of the price over, you know, any given year as far as an, an average annual value goes, you know, you got to like that the Tigers are saving $9 million that can, they can put to use somewhere else. Um, as far as the Red Sox payroll goes, I think that there is a little bit more of a silver lining to that for them. You know, they lose David Ortiz after this season. I believe Clay Buckholz is off the books either after this year or next. Um, so, you know, that's a decent little, you know, chunk of change coming off the payroll too. So it's not like they're, you know, just spending, spending, spending like the Dodgers, although they are kind of starting to push that barrier a little bit. Um, and they still have a pretty robust farm system. So they'll have some guys coming in on the cheap as well. A robust system minus four. The, the, uh, the gutting has begun. And I guess what the point that I'm trying to make is when you, you compare these, uh, two separate moves by two GMs. You know, you have Al Avila going out and getting K-Rod for a very, very low shelf prospect versus Dombrowski going and get, getting Kimbrel for four prospects. Then you have Avila going out and signing Jordan Zimmerman for a pretty damn good contract. You know, the five years, is it's a smart contract. Then you have Dombrowski going out and shooting the wad on David Price for the next seven years. Uh, I want to say that Avila is keeping pace and he's doing it much more efficiently because when it comes down to it, again, Price is not Zimmerman, Zimmerman's not Price, and Kimbrell is maybe better than K-Rod, but not by such a wide margin that I would, you know, double the amount that I'm paying. Well, the other thing that I thought was interesting was that is that uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported that the Red Sox offer was over $30 million more than the next highest offer, which came from the Cardinals, uh, oddly enough. Um, so, you know, they really kind of broke the bank for price there that's kind of surprising yeah and i remember seeing some of that uh in the in the rumor juice going through twitter just it, you know basically the red sox saying we will not be outbid and uh, sure enough they 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 did it good job guys i hope it works out but that's man that's a lot of money to sink into a starting pitcher especially if he doesn't take the opt-out clause um you know that's a ton of money for them and you know you'd like to think that you know if the red sox play their cards right that they will you know kind of get rid of him after three years there but that you know that opt-out clause really you know gives the team all the risk in this contract right because the opt-out clause is david price right i mean he's the one that gets to decide he's the one that decides so if he has a horrible third year or whatever or you know tommy john surgery or something like that he can still say no you're going to keep me around for the next four years and they're on the hook huh. i'm reading through this this um Nightingale article now. Uh, oddly enough, uh, David Price played it in a charity golf tournament this morning. Uh, it says that the, I guess the opening two paragraphs are David Price teed off Tuesday morning at a charity golf tournament, believing he would be spending the next seven years pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals. By the time he left the event, hosted by former major leaguer Wally Joyner. <laughs> kind of an odd little coincidence there. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of, wow. I'm still just kind of in shock by it. It's, you know, uh, I guess I shouldn't be. Uh, surprised by these deals anymore but 217 million yeah that's that's got dave dombrowski's fingerprints all over it one of the one of the questions i posed in the slack channel was what would daniel norris do with 217 million dollars 
the dude lives out of a van. What what does he need two hundred and seventeen million for? Right. Except to wax the surfboard and he would know less to do with that two hundred seventeen million than we would. What's David Price going to do with it? The guy gets all of his shoes for free. He's got boxes and boxes and boxes of shoes from was it Jordan that sends him that stuff? Yeah, buy shoes for Astro. I don't know. Why would... You got He needs twice as many. <laughs> Just <laughs> these numbers don't make any sense. I don't get it. But the important question comes from Uncle Lefty. Following up on this, Sporting News claims that the signing of David Price makes the Red Sox instant favorites in the American League. Do you agree? Nope. No, come on. No. Look at the rest of their rotation. Yeah, this is the you know it's the, one of the teams that had one of the worst pitching staffs in the major leagues last season, uh, and they fixed one of their five starters in that rotation. You know maybe Rick Porcello bounces back, but then you have two guys uh, at the top of that rotation, and the bullpen is only one guy better. And that's such a Dombrowski move to only yes. add the closer and then not really do anything <laughs> else with it. So it'll be very interesting to see how the rest of this offseason plays out for the Red Sox and what they do to shore up the back end of that rotation and the rest of that bullpen. See, I'm telling you, it's time to reevaluate Dombrowski. Now Now that there's some distance and he's doing this with another team, it does kind of feel like, oh, God, <laughs> it's not our problem anymore. He's not gutting the farm system and spending just shit tons of cash on, you know, one player, one closer, one starter. No, I don't think the Red Sox are instant favorites, not by a long shot, not when they've got Again, issues with Pablo Sandoval not producing, issues with Hanley Ramirez playing in left field. What? They're well, trying... apparently he's playing first base now. They, like, I oh, think they announced that he's going to be their first baseman next that's, year. That's a... <laughs> I don't even know. They're trying to trade him, uh, is what I heard. Hey, as long if that bat gets back to what it was when it was in Los Angeles, they'll be fine. Mm. But that's the problem. Yeah. No, they're not instant favorites, not by a long shot. I would... Uh... I'd say the Tigers have just as good of a chance as as the the Red Sox. And plus, there's other teams that I would much more quickly say, yeah, favorite. Uh, before I mean, even... the the Royals are defending champs. They are, they are, but they're they seem to be kind of falling apart at the seams too. Now with losing Gordon, losing Cueto, which we knew they were going to, they non tendered uh, Greg Holland. Um, yeah, but he had Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's true. He had Tommy John surgery. He was going to. Probably, what was it, free agency in 2017, I think? Yeah, he, he only had one year left, so, you know, it yeah. made sense for them to tender him. Yep, it did. It did. I guess I was just, for some reason, thinking that he was on the team, contracted beyond 2017, so I guess not. But they're, they're undergoing some changes, too. So there's uh, there's no reason to say the Red Sox are the instant favorites. There are other teams that are going to make a run at that. The Astros are still very good. Uh, the Rangers only showed us little bits, you know, towards the end of the season as they were finally getting fully healthy again. Who knows what they're going to look like in 2016? Um, yeah, that's that's my feeling. Final question here: uh, Donnie Kelly Baby says, "Predict the rest. Predict the rest of the Tigers' free agency, as Mister I can only spend so much more. Also, predict the three outfielders who we will see on opening day. But why? We're bad at predictions." Well, I think my prediction is going to be that the outfield on opening day will be Cameron Mabin in left, Anthony Ghost in center, and J.D. Martinez in right. I agree 100%. That's my prediction, and I'm sticking to it. Unless it's Cespedes in left. No, I don't don't know that the Tigers are going to do much more to their outfield. I really think that this is kind of what they see it as, and they'll maybe add someone else. Um, You know, like I had mentioned earlier, maybe a Steve Pierce type player, maybe another kind of lower level player 
or I guess lower tier outfielder. I don't know that they're going to make a big splash with that just because, like I said before, you know, making this deal for Maven and then, you know, signing a big guy like that. Like why, why would they make that Maven trade? Even though, you know, it did get rid of Ian Kroll, which we're all happy about. It's still, it doesn't make much sense to make the deal for this guy. You know, a guy who's probably too good to be kind of your fourth outfielder and then go sign another guy for 20 odd million a year. Yeah. For the same reasons, I think that would, that would take them out of the running for Alex Gordon. It doesn't make sense at this point. Uh, but crazier things have happened, I guess. Uh, which which kind of leads to the rest of this question. You know, predict the rest of the Tigers' free agency, as Mr. I can only spend so much more. We're going to talk about this in the next segment. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how much Mr. I uh, is going to spend or not spend, because he's saying some crazy, crazy stuff lately. Uh, if I had to predict, though, the quote-unquote rest of the Tigers' free agency... I'm going to just keep it simple and say they sign a starting pitcher. Um, fill in the name. Doug Fister, Chris Young, whoever. And they sign one more reliever, and then that's that's it. Chris Young and John Kelly. How about that? I would be fine with that. I'd be right with that, too. I'm not as, uh, you know, kind of flipping out about the outfield situation um, just yet because, I don't know. There, there's People forget, too, that once the offseason moves are done, that doesn't mean the team is set in stone. They play the first half of the year, and then we've got the chance at the trade deadline to address any deficiencies that might still exist. So this is just really, you know, think of it as setting them up for the first half of 2016, and it's a pretty decent setup. And if something goes, you know, goes off the rails, well, we'll, we'll fix it in July. So, okay, that should do it for our Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. When we get back, we will wrap the show up with a seventh inning Kvetch. You know, this team is owned by a madman. Maybe. Maybe he's not. When we get back. 3 now. Here's the 2-2. Oh, boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Red Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh. And Victor got tossed. Well, welcome back from the break. We will cap the show here with the seventh inning Kvetch. The Tigers still have a lot of work to do, Rob. Uh, as we were just talking in the last segment, they've made a pretty good start in preparing themselves for the 2016 season. Uh, but there's there's still a, a lot to be done. There really is. You know, this is a team that had a lot of holes uh, at the end of last season. Um, it's... You know, adding Zimmerman to the rotation is nice, but, you know, we've still looked at, you know, there's still some big-time question marks there. You have, you know, Anibal Sanchez, who, you know, maybe is, maybe will be healthy, maybe not. Uh, the lineup still has some pretty big concerns. You know, you lose uh, a pretty big piece in Cespedes. Uh, Victor Martinez may or may not, you know, be healthy from that knee. You know, will Nick Castellanos progress? Will James McCann and Jose Iglesias hold up over a full season again? Um, there are just a lot of a lot of questions here, and you know, while every team has questions at this point, I think that there are, you know, more questions surrounding the Tigers than we've had in the last several years. So it's kind of an, uh, a weird place for us to be in. It really depends, you know, to me, I think on which side of the bed I woke up on. You can take a really optimistic view, and there's a lot of good things to point out. You know, to point to uh, the resurgence of Justin Verlander and the the hope that he can kick off 2016 and give us a full 2016 of that kind of Verlander. You know, the, the Zimmerman signing, best case scenario, Anibal Sanchez pitches like you know he's capable of pitching and, and does it for a little bit longer, and his shoulder actually stays intact. 
there, there's a lot of um, hope, reasons for hope, I guess. And yet, you know, just as easily get up on the wrong side of the bed and point to the fact that, like you said, they lost a ton of run production when they lost Cespedes. There's no guarantee that Victor Martinez is going to be even back to, you know, career average form next year. There's no guarantee Sanchez is not going to give up 30 more bombs in 2016. Um, So it just, as I said, 50-50, you can really kind of spin this either way you want, which reminds me, I wanted to mention too from the Alavila interview, I thought this was kind of funny when they asked him um, if any of Jordan Zimmerman's numbers, you know, in the analytics gave him cause for concern. (laughs) And you know what he said? He said, the numbers can be flipped any way you want. You can cite numbers that, you know, make you really want a guy. You can cite a different set of numbers on the same player that make you think, no, I should stay away from it. And then he compared that to what the scouts do. And he said, the scouts have been doing the same thing for years. Whether or not they like the guy, they will spin the report, you know, just so if they want you to sign the guy or they'll spin it against him if they don't want you to sign him. So it's kind of like the the Tigers as a whole kind of is in that same situation to me that they're not done making moves for 2016 so it's hard to say it's not set in stone but today i feel good today you know i I won a crap ton of money on a football game yesterday so i'm feeling pretty good about life so today i think yeah the tigers uh they've got a good shot at contending for the division title in 2016 i mean i think that by off season's end they will be in a good position to contend for the title uh for the division title um you know, you have teams in, you know, in Kansas City and in Cleveland that just don't have the spending power that the Tigers do. Uh, one of the, I guess, kind of one of the knocks that has materialized about Dombrowski is that he wasn't able to do more with a team that had a decisive financial advantage over its divisional competitors mm-hmm. over the years, even though they did win four consecutive division titles. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see exactly what the Tigers do kind of with that advantage there. You know, the White Sox are spending, maybe spending a little bit more money going forward. But otherwise, I mean, you're still looking at, you know, a team that has payrolls of upwards of 50 million more than its division rivals. And I think that, you know, with Avila putting a little bit more emphasis on not only the farm system, but, you know, evaluating players in different ways than, than Dabrowski did before, you know, putting a little bit more emphasis on the bullpen and kind of filling out the, the periphery of the roster and adding a little bit more depth that the Tigers should be in, in good shape. So, you know, it doesn't look great yet, but there it's there's still a lot of time in the offseason. We're not even to the winter meetings yet, uh, and I think there's just a lot of time to go before we really kind of say one way or another that the Tigers can contend next year. And when you talk about the winter meetings coming up, I have to say, for the first time in a couple of years anyway, and you know, you can tell me if you feel the same way, but I have this almost, um, it's a safer feeling going into the winter meetings because I'm not as worried about Alavila doing a crazy Dombrowski type thing like, hey, have an Alfredo Simon. Sorry, I, I said I wouldn't bring the name up, but there it is. You know, or just hey, I'm going to deal off Rick Porcello and bring in Joanna Cespedes, and people are going, hey, great Cespedes, but wait, what? Rick was actually you know progressing nicely. I, I thought would have been nice to have him around for a couple more years. It's that that sensation of uh, just the carpet being pulled out from under you, and in some cases it was awesome, and you go, oh, wow, huge trade the Tigers got. Yeah, whoever. In other cases, you'd go, what the hell did you just do? I don't feel that way with, with Alavila at all. No, and I think that because the trades he's made so far are kind of lower level, uh, even the signing, I guess I guess at only five years, you could kind of call it a little bit 
I don't want to say underwhelming, but you know, with committing a little bit less, you know, less years and less money to it, he's definitely leaving he's leaving options open and creating that payroll flexibility I think is very important. Uh and, you know, maybe not necessarily going for the big splashy move, but just I guess kind of the move that makes the most sense for the team right now and trying to fill as many holes as possible this offseason is th- is the best way for them to go. Yeah, I guess it's the disorienting is the word I'm looking for. I don't expect to be disoriented by any of the moves that Avila makes based on what we've seen so far. And I, I mean, yeah, you say in a way Zimmerman signing can be, quote unquote, underwhelming. I wouldn't necessarily call it underwhelming in, in another respect. I guess, you know, if Avila had come back and said, here's your number three starter, I got you Doug Fister, then, yeah, I'd go, oh, God, he's he's not going to do enough. Well, he did. He got one of the better guys out there, but he didn't break his back or the bank or got the farm system to do it. He is being so calculating, so precise in his movements right now that I just I feel really good going into the winter meetings that he's not going to blow this team up or do something just incredibly stupid. Big pasta, here we come again kind of thing. Well, I think that it kind of speaks to his approach to everything. You know, they've expanded the analytics department. They've expanded the scouting department. And I think that he's just drawing information from more avenues than Dabrowski did before. I don't necessarily want to say it was all from Dave Dabrowski himself, but having more people and having more input on a lot of these decisions, I think, will help you from, you know, making some sort of decision that you're going to regret. Uh, and so, you know, having this kind of groupthink mentality to it, I think is going to be a little bit more beneficial for the Tigers. Right. And I like the approach that he, that you kind of outlined that says, you know, he's not so much trying to fit puzzle pieces into a puzzle as he is trying to uh, fit variables into an equation where, you know, we're going to solve for X, we're going to solve for N here. And it can really be, you can work it a couple of different ways and switch, you know, sides and it's, it's going to work out. It, yeah. It's a much more flexible approach. He's being much more holistic about it feeling good about uh, about the winter meetings coming up I, I just i think the roster is going to get a lot stronger and, and in ways that we haven't necessarily even thought of yet um another thing that uh, that came up as a result of that zimmerman signing we talked about the fact that uh, they had a press conference uh mike illich was at this press conference which is already kind of weird. Uh, Mike Illich, if you remember, did not even come to Al Avila's press conference when they freaking announced that Dombrowski was gone after 14 years and, hey, we just you know hired a new general manager. They sent poor Al out there to kind of you know fend for himself in that press conference. And yet they signed Zimmerman, and there's, there's Mike Illich. And uh, the, the various reporters and beat writers and journalists swarmed, obviously, as they would. Oh, God, there he is. Let's get all the questions out now. They addressed several different subjects. I kind of wanted to go over a couple of them. First of all, there's the whole issue of the budget, the payroll, the luxury tax, all of this. All this time we've been saying they're on a budget. They're not going to spend big. Al Avila even said $189 million payroll. That's ridiculous. And then Mike Illich comes out with, oh boy, and just blows it all to hell by saying cost it's not an object. Let me, let me just read this because uh, he was saying to the reporters, we're doing everything we can to get as many good ball players, you know, as they're out there. The reporter said, no matter what the cost, it doesn't matter. Illich's response, no. I mean, it might sound silly, but it's true. But I think I've proved that over the years. I've never reneged on going and signing a big player and good God help us, Rob. <laughs> There's a portion of the fan base that now believes that, um, yeah, that believes that Illich is just going to hand over a blank check. 
the payroll is going to be 300 million. We're going to get Cespedes. We're going to get Gordon. We're going to get Trout. You know, we're going to somehow just, it's going to be an all-star team. We're going to get Kershaw. We're just going to sign all the most expensive. Oh boy. What do you think? What's, what's the real payroll situation? Why well, I want to, I want to know why you didn't spend $250 million on David Price. Come on now. We got, we got, we got holes to fill, Mr. I. Hey, believe it or here. not, you joke about that, but, uh, <laughs> There are callers calling WXYT today complaining about this and and saying, Mr. I said that cost was no object and that those stupid Tigers let David Price get signed by somebody else. Like, they actually really think that the Tigers were going to sign David Price. I mean, God God bless those people. I yeah. guess that's all I can say there. I think what 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 is going on here, though, is, I don't know, it's, it's you're a billionaire business owner. You don't want to come out and I, I don't know he wants to make a good impression is how i read this you know he, of course he's gonna say i'm gonna do anything in my power to get a winning team out there and cost i don't care i'll spend what i have to but in reality uh, you know he's got alavila on the other side of the table saying yeah the next picture we get is not going to be from the same aisle as zimmerman actions i think speak a lot louder than words in this case well and i think that it kind of speaks to you know exactly who I don't necessarily want to say who's in control in this situation, but, you know, how much Avila trusts Avila to build out the roster. And, you know, if Avila comes to him and says, you know, we need this player, we need to go X number of dollars over the luxury tax to get him, and this is what he's going to do. Uh, I think that that's a lot more beneficial than, you know, Mr. Illich just, you know, talking to Scott Boris and saying, we need Prince Fielder and signing him to, you know, a gigantic contract. Yeah, for as much as he said uh, in the, the other part of the press conference, he did address the luxury tax specifically and said uh, something to the effect, I'm supposed to be a good boy and, and not go over it, but I'm not opposed to it either, that kind of thing. Uh, at the same time, like you said, we've seen who they've been targeting. We've seen what the rumor mill is churning out in terms of who the Tigers are linked to. It has not been any of those you know, huge uh, huge price tag free agents yet. So I don't, I don't think the approach is even just get me the best players and I'll pay for it later. Yeah. And I think that speaks to more to Avila's approach to the off season in building out the rest of the roster, building out a little bit more depth and kind of getting away from this stars and scrubs model that we've seen with a few teams. You know, we've seen it with the Tigers. We've seen it a lot with the Los Angeles angels. They were kind of lambasted for it a little bit too. Um, and that, yeah, I don't necessarily know if you can win that way. You know, you can have these great star players, but I think you need more depth than that to really, you know, be able to win a championship, especially in the playoffs in this day and age. I think you need to have the kind of depth, especially, you know, on the bench and in the bullpen to really be able to contend for a championship. I saw some concern being expressed uh, in certain places that, you know, now that Mike Illich has kind of dropped this bomb and said cost is no concern. Uh, does that, do you think, limit uh, Al Avila's, uh, what should we say? negotiation strategy now that he's going out and dealing with agents uh, working for ballplayers wanting to sign some free agents does that take away a little bit of a power on his part now that you know he can sit down to the table and the agent can say "Ah, I heard your boss say cost is no object so here's the price tag I don't necessarily know that it does, um, particularly this off season, because I think there are so many guys available that you know it's easy for Avila to say, well, you know, we like you, but we can go over to you know Ryan Matson and sign him for you know five million less or or whatever it is. And I don't necessarily know that all these guys are going to be able to conspire all together 
again you know against uh, Illich and the Tigers um, to be able to really jack up their prices that much. I think that if the market was a little bit more scarce and the Tigers were going after one or two guys, that that would be the case. But there are so many guys available that I just don't I just don't know if that you know these comments are going to carry much weight in the negotiation room. The rest of this interview with Illich, I think, is just it's it's so hilarious in some ways. The guy just kind of shooting from the hip uh, comes across as a little bit crazy in some ways. I loved this one quote where he was talking about just how close they've come in past years. And, you know, he says, you know, last year was a goofy year. When did they come up with that garbage? And then says, we've been close every year. Four or five years, we won the pennant. As I mentioned, going to the World Series three times, you get frustrated. And I get a little upset, too. And I'm saying, Al, get out there. Get me more. Uh, it's it's four years that you won the division. It's uh, twice to the World Series. Um, I don't think Mike Illich is necessarily paying attention to the details anymore. It's just like, yeah, we've been out there a couple times. I don't know, three, four, six. I, I don't know. I don't have my ring. That's what I know. I don't know. I, I like that he says, I don't care about the money. I want the best players and things like I spend and I don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, he addressed two other subjects that I wanted to touch on one dealing with the Max Scherzer uh re-signing the failure to re-sign him because that's been something the Tiger fan base has just not been willing to let go of you know and saying they should have never let Scherzer walk uh the the reporter asked him referencing specifically the rumor that uh when they made Scherzer the offer and Scherzer turned their first offer down uh he said you know you guys basically walked away from Scherzer at that point and it's funny Illich said that's not true uh he said we made him an offer and it looked like he was going to take it. Then all of a sudden, he wanted a little bit more, and it was a great number, a large number. So it irked me a little bit. I figured, how much do you want? I just asked you what you wanted, and he tells me he wants more. So forget about him. <laughs> Funny to me that on the one hand, he's saying, no, we didn't just walk away from the table. And then he ends up by saying, basically, we walked away from the table. I mean, you know, I, I wonder that how much this has to do with Scott Boris. Uh, Max Scherzer's agent in that, you know, maybe Boris kind of had Illich on his finger for a certain number and then says, you know, let's try to push him higher, uh, that type of thing. And maybe he just pushed the old man too far. Do you miss Scherzer? I mean, would you have taken him at that contract that he got with the with the Nationals? At that contract, I don't know. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people were kind of doing some creative math of that and saying that it was more like seven years, $180 million. Uh, that's still a long time to to guarantee to a pitcher, especially with a guy with a delivery as violent as Max's, uh, you know, you wonder how he will age, especially as this fastball loses a little bit of life to it, uh, and exactly how he will look towards the end of that deal. Uh, you know, he's a fun guy to have around. He's, you know, great on social media and all that. And, you know, Max face, uh, mm. during games and his intensity and all that. But, you know, you got to look kind of long-term here and see, you know, what's the best deal for the franchise. Yeah. It's a lesson that Tigers fans, I think, have to learn and we have been learning over the last couple of years that you cannot sustain a team by continuing to add long expensive contracts and we're in that situation now i think we're paying a little bit for what dave dombrowski the approach that he took over the years uh with having huge chunk of the payroll tied up in just a minimal amount of players and now it's like how do you work around that and for all that it still didn't get them the world series so it's it's just one of these things where, yeah, wouldn't it be great to have a team full of all-stars? And, yeah, I'd love to have Max Scherzer on the team, but you realize how much more payroll now would be tied up if, if they had signed that contract. I'm kind of glad that they didn't. 
Finally, on the subject of Dave Dombrowski and what happened over the summer, some of this now finally comes into clearer focus and the speculations you and I were throwing back and forth. We can kind of maybe correct, I guess, if that's the word, some of that. Uh, Mike Illich said it, he and I, referring to Dombrowski, he and I talked a lot. We talked like old friends. Yeah, he knew. He knew he wasn't getting a contract in, in 2016, and that's all there was to it. I didn't win with him. We were close. Like I told you, he's a great guy, but there's times that you have to change. You're not winning. You have to change. So I made up my mind. I have to change. So I called him and I told him like a gentleman. <laughs> the reporter asks, there was no desire to bring him back for another year? No, not at all. You didn't want Dombrowski back? I told you I wanted to win. And I figured I needed to try and get somebody else. I mean, that's a... Came across as a very kind of a damning indictment to have... The reporters say, so you didn't want him back? No, I told you I wanted to win. Kind of a loaded statement there, and you wonder, you know, maybe Mike Illich kind of saw the same kind of writing on the wall that we're seeing now Hmm. with a lot of this and, you know, seeing some of Dombrowski's faults up close and, you know, his inability to kind of fill out the bullpen and address the rest of the roster. Um, And you almost wonder that if the Tigers brass kind of saw that and said, you know what, maybe we should look... A little bit elsewhere you know or maybe he just you know was kind of sick of being around Dombrowski and wanted him gone I don't know here's the the really goofball question this this came to me last night as I was drifting off to sleep hearing Illich's comments looking back on the past couple of years and then seeing especially now what Dave Dombrowski is doing in Boston really got me to thinking okay we've said for a long time right that it, it, these big contracts they're all Mike Illich's fault. That That's the old man getting too involved and saying, go spend a bunch of money on these guys. And yet, now that Dombrowski is no longer under Illich, under completely different management in Boston, he's not changed his approach. He's still doing the, yeah, let's sign David Price for a billion damn dollars. Let's send off four prospects to get a proven closer. I'm starting to wonder now, Rob. I'm starting to wonder how much of it was Illich and how much of it was just Dave Dombrowski's philosophy. For example, at the end of the 2013 season, what was the big problem? They had offense. They had a great starting rotation. The bullpen just couldn't get it done ultimately in the in the championship series. And so the response was, well, now I'm going to go sign a proven closer in Joe Nathan and give him $20 million. I always thought that was an Illich thing. I always thought it was Illich saying, fix that. That's what cost us the World Series or a shot at the World Series. Now go fix that. Now I'm thinking, no, yeah, maybe that was all Dave. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I mean, you know, we still had reports of Mike Illich saying that he's going to take care of Victor Martinez after 2014 and giving him kind of, you know, a gaudy contract extension that he didn't necessarily need. Um, so it, it's tough to say. Uh, and you wonder, you know, I still go back to, I think that the Red Sox are kind of on a different playing field as far as the amount of money they have to spend goes than the Tigers do. And so giving a guy like David Price $217 million isn't necessarily the same as the Tigers giving him that amount of money. So, you know, it's it, I guess it's just kind of tough to say either way as to who exactly is at fault here. But you do like that, you know, Avila, I mean that uh, Illich, uh, isn't just going out and signing the biggest guys in the market. And I think that, you know, maybe some of the other powers that be within the organization are still kind of pulling the reins a little bit and saying, you know, we don't need the biggest, you know, flashiest toy on the shelf. We need this one because it makes more sense for us. Right. And I guess I'm saying it's not a dollar for dollar comparison. It, I'm just wondering if that's really more a Dombrowski approach that we're seeing. And I really wonder now if 
it had been Al Avila running the team for the last five years, even with Mike Illich sitting down, you know, with Avila in that case and saying, hey, let's make sure we take care of Victor Martinez. Would Avila have had a different way of negotiating that and saying, yeah, we're going to take care of him, but we're not going to do something stupid like sign a huge extension, you know? If it's Avila in charge of getting the Prince Fielder contract, does it still look as as gross and ugly as it did? Or would he have approached it differently? Does he have a fundamentally different approach than Dave Dombrowski? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that we've kind of answered the question that Avila does have a fundamentally different approach than Dombrowski. Would he have done the same with these other moves or different? Uh, I know you go back to the Prince Fielder move and, you know, with, again, Scott Boris, super agent, he, you know, I think he's famous for going on the record and saying that he only deals with owners and not general managers because, you know, the owners are the ones spending the money. Hmm. So, you know, how much was David Dombrowski in charge of those negotiations, it's, you know, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, and it just kind of, I guess, once again, shed some light on how much we just don't know that goes on, you know, within, within those walls in the baseball organizations. Yeah. And I don't want to give the impression that I have the answer to any of that. I'm just kind of speculating openly because hell it's the off season. And these are just some thoughts that I had and, you know, I'm not going to land on, on one set or the other, but just, just kind of curious now. Now that we're seeing Dave Dabrowski continue his same approach in Boston, kind of wondering, you know, how 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 um how much is this really on on Illich's shoulders after all this time? I, I can't answer that. I'm just openly wondering. I guess uh, that should just about do it for this our inaugural December edition of the Voice of the Turtle. Rob, you got any last thoughts before all hell breaks loose with the winter meetings? Yeah, I'm just really excited to see kind of what exactly the Tigers do. Um, you know, hopefully they do address more of the roster over the over the winter meetings. Uh, like I said, again, not all at once, please. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into some more of the rumor mill of the off season. You know, with it, we were kind of blessed to having the Zimmerman stuff come out of nowhere, but otherwise it was a pretty almost kind of a little bit of a boring week. So excited to get the rumor mill and the hot stove fired back up and back to it. And to think, you know, when we did the show last week, we were saying, oh, we're, we might only have, uh, you know, turkey and mashed potatoes and other sides to talk about. And, and yet here we are. Just Literally everything we said last week was wrong. Everything. I was listening to the show today and I was like, well, no, that actually happened. No, that that didn't happen. And yeah, it was bad. And now we have a title for this podcast. Everything we say is wrong. There we go. And people keep listening. It's that's the cool part. We can be wrong all day long, and we've still got friends. Yes, so. that part. Um, yeah. If you know, for those that subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review and a rating. Five stars would be great. Uh, I think we we deserve that. You know, occasionally we have our moments. Um, <laughs> I I don't necessarily know what it does, but I believe that it helps you know boost rankings and whatnot, and gets more people to listen to the show and hear all of our stupid antics. All right. I mean, I'll take a five-star, seven-year rating, or if you want to bring it down to like a four-star and a five-year deal, I, I suppose I'd be open to that, too. I'd take $110 million. Yep. Yeah, a problem. All right, then. Uh, remember, we are only one half of this conversation. You're the other half. So leave your comments for us at the website, blessyouboys.com, or you can find us on Twitter at hookslidebyb and bybrob, or send us an email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So, on behalf of of Robert Jackie and crazy billionaire owners everywhere. This is Hookslide reminding you that Christmas is only three weeks away and you haven't even asked what Rob and I want for presents. But we'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle. <laughs>